farmer hired a man to work for him out on his farm and said that the first task would be to paint the barn and said it would, I think, take three or four days to complete. And the worker did it in half the time. Wow! That was fast. Much faster than I expected. So the farmer gave the worker a second chore, and that was cutting wood. To his amazement, the worker accomplished the task in half the time. The third task could have been pretty easy. It was a large sack of potatoes. And the worker was to arrange them in three piles. A pile for seed for next year's harvest. A pile for the hogs that they've got to eat too. And a pile of potatoes for market. And the farmer gave the assignment and then came back at the end of the day expecting all of the potatoes to be divided up into the three piles according to the instructions. And the farmer found the worker sitting there with just a few potatoes separated and the rest of them all in the big original pile. And he wondered why he hadn't been able to complete the task. What's the matter here, he said. And the worker responded, I can work hard, but I can't make decisions. I can work hard, but I can't make decisions. Often we can work hard, but we struggle with making decisions. Maybe we love the work of the Lord. We're busy doing God's work, serving here, there, and other places in the church and in the community. But we don't spend time with the Lord of the work. We can do the work of the Lord, but often we don't spend time with the Lord of the work. And spending time with the Lord of the work is part of discernment, part of understanding what God would have us to do requires spending time in solitude, in prayer, in reading of Scripture, examining self and these spiritual practices that we have been working on during this fall series, Sacred Rhythms. I wonder if many of us aren't like the worker. We can get a lot of things done, but we struggle with making decisions or often struggle with making the best decisions. Henry Blackaby, who wrote Experiencing God materials, quotes, says, says this, quote, In making a decision, the greatest difficulty may not be in choosing between good and bad, but in choosing between good and best. What is best for us? As you go through your walk of life and as we journey as a church, we can make, there are a lot of good decisions we can make. But what is best? What would God have us to do? If we are truly seeking the will of God, we lay our lives before him and our decisions before him and seek what is best. But our world says otherwise, doesn't it? Our culture offers all kinds of other ways to make decisions. Just go to the Amazon and click, type in self-help in the search box, and you'll receive all kinds of 
self-help books to guide you. Or maybe some of you like to ask Oprah. She has great advice. Or Dr. Phil or Dr. Oz, right? Some of you may love to listen to what Pastor Joel Osteen might say in his sermons. And he, he has some good advice. Personally, I, I admire his hair. If I could just have that, oh my, you're right. Okay, in all seriousness, some, some of us today, we say, a Siri, what should I do? Alexa, what decision should I make? Hey, Google, I've seen Facebook posts of friends on Facebook where there's a decision they're making, and they're asking all of their friends on Facebook what they think and what they think that the person should do. And sometimes it's just, well, whatever way the wind is blowing in our world today, people don't even include God at all. But as Christians, we know that God is involved in all aspects of our lives and that God desires that we approach the throne of grace with confidence, laying our needs before his throne. When it comes down to it, how do we make the best decisions? How do we make them as people, individual people, and as a church? This is where the spiritual practice of discernment is paramount. Discernment is not just flipping a coin. It's not a quick obligatory prayer or saying, well, I, you know, it must be the will of God. It's certainly not a 50% plus one vote in a congregational meeting, right? Sometimes churches are known to allow Robert's Rules to make their decisions. Robert's Rules is just a tool to help us make decisions, to keep a meeting orderly, to make sure that ample time is given for people to speak their heart on one side or the other if there are sides. And often Robert's Rules is there to protect the, um, the minority so that they have a voice. It's a tool, but it should not be that which governs our decision-making. As Baptists, we are congregational, and we come together as individuals spending time with God, seeking God's will, and then as a body, we come together to make those decisions, and we happen to use Robert's Rules as a tool to help make sure that our meeting is smooth, runs smoothly. And certainly, be very careful about any spiritual leader standing up before you in a pulpit saying, this is the will of God, this is what you should do, God told me, right? God may have told them, but had God told all the others yet? These are things we hear. These are voices that clamor in our minds. But we want to understand the practice of discernment in a better way that we can make the best decisions. It's a spiritual practice in its simplest form, the choosing between two perceived good options through the leadership of the Holy Spirit. It shifts the question, discernment does, from what we want to what is God's longing and desire for our lives and for our churches. Discernment is a spiritual practice in the form of a discipline because it requires relinquishing control and becoming indifferent to the outcome that we seek, that we desire what God desires, that I seek to be indifferent to anything else but the will of God. One of my favorite verses is at the heart of spiritual discernment, Proverbs 3, verses 5 and 6. 
maybe you know it. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will make straight your paths. He will direct your paths. That passage has been critical in our decision making over the years, and I hope that it blesses you. You might say, Pastor Bob, what's a simple definition of discernment? It means to separate or to distinguish. It comes from the Latin word dis- discernery. It also means to test in crisis or to distinguish between good and evil. It's from a Greek, uh, uh, the Greek word translated test in the passages we read today is diakrisis. This uh, understanding to sift, uh, to separate things. If you've ever been on a trip out into the mountains or to the west and done some mining, you might know what that's like. Anybody ever done that? Raise your hand if you've done some mining. Yeah, you go and pay for a big bucket of dirt with a bunch of rocks, and hopefully there might be some precious stones there. And then they put you before the trowels of water, and you take your sifter and pour your dirt and everything in there and run it in the water, and then you end up with the, the stones and perhaps something of value. It's to sift, to differentiate, to look at the difference between one thing or another. And we invite God into that process as Christians and ask God to help us to sift through all of the choices and to point us to that which is best. It also means to see the heart of the matter with spiritual eyes, to look at someone or something from God's perspective. It leads us in the way of love, closer to Jesus, closer to one another, and closer to the world that God wills. You might have heard someone say, in your life or in your work or in your walk. If you've got a tough decision to make, just go with your gut. Some of that's true. I don't think, though, that our gut is enough. You might have had bad sushi, right? So our gut is not enough. Now, I do know that God speaks through the groanings of the Spirit, and often God will give us that, that gut feeling, but that must be tested and sifted with what God's Word says, what our our prayers revealing, what are other Christians sharing, what are the traditions of the church saying, and so forth. A management consultant said, never ignore a gut feeling, but never believe that it is enough. Discernment doesn't rely on intuition alone, nor does it rely on intellect or experience There are two kinds of discernment. There's natural and there's spiritual. One can fail us, the other won't. Spiritual discernment won't fail us if we genuinely seek the will of God. This writer says, when a natural discernment can take us a step further, spiritual discernment invites us to keep going with faith and confidence. Spiritual discernment, they say, can be compared to a process or a journey. It's not linear. It doesn't follow step one, two, three, and so forth. We have 
many spiritual resources to help us to listen to God and understand his deepest longings for our lives. But they say spiritual discernment is ultimately about cultivating a relationship with our God. Instead of asking Siri or Alexa or Hey Google, we are to approach the throne of grace with confidence so that we might receive mercy and find grace in our time of need, says the writer of Hebrews chapter 4, verse 16. So I'd like to share three very simple essentials for right, the right practice of discernment. This is from Ruth Haley Barton's book, Sacred Rhythms, on her chapter of spiritual discernment. It's very simple. Number one, believe in the goodness of God. God is good. God is good. God created all that exists and looked at it and said it is good and then said it is very good. God is good. His nature is good. God's character is consistent. God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. The Bible tells us that Jesus, the same yesterday and today and forever. God is good. We can trust God in our decision making. Second, we can believe that love is our primary calling. And we would ask in discernment, not only that from this good God, but we would ask, what does love call us to do in the situation? There are a lot of choices, decisions to make, but what does love call us to do? What does love compel us to do? And third, there is a belief that God still speaks, that God does indeed communicate to us through the Holy Spirit. The God who spoke creation into being still speaks, and the God who came in Jesus Christ still comes. We can trust that God is good. We can trust that love is our primary calling and ask what does love call us to do. And we can believe that God still speaks to us today. Again, going back to Henry Blackaby, the author of Experiencing God, writes that God speaks to us primarily through the Bible, through prayer, through our present and past circumstances, experiences, and God speaks through the church to reveal himself, his purposes, and his ways through our prayers, through the Bible, through our experiences, circumstances, past and present, and through the church. And sometimes people say, well, Pastor Bob, what should I do in this situation? I've got this before me, and I, I really don't know what to do. I feel that my, in my prayers, God's saying this. And so I challenge us not to isolate one way that God speaks, but to look for consistency across the ways that God speaks. So we would pray and seek Scripture. We would look at our past and present experiences the spiritual markers in our churches and in our lives. And we would look at and listen to what is God saying through other Christians and we trust in the church. And look for a consistent pattern in all of those areas. And then we will be able to see God leading us to make this specific decision or go this certain way. And I hope that makes sense, that we don't just pick one 
passage of Scripture without praying, without looking at our experiences and without consulting others whom we trust in the church. But God will reveal himself, his purposes, and his ways as we open ourselves up to all of these tools that are available for us. And our hope is that we will come to a place of the prayer of indifference. And you've heard us talk about this a good bit as we've been going through our visioning journey as a church, that we would come to a place to be able to pray that God help me to be indifferent to anything else but your holy will for our lives as a church and my life as a person. Help me to be indifferent to anything but your will. God's will, nothing more, nothing less, nothing else. This is rooted in the prayer of Jesus in the Garden of the Gethsemane, where he said, My Father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me, yet not my will, but your will be done. The practice of the discernment, spiritual discernment, takes us to a place where we can pray the prayer of Jesus, which is a prayer of holy indifference. Here's what I want, God, but not my will, your will would be done. Open the doors of my heart, God, that I would be totally open to whatever it is that you would have me, have us to do. And at times it is not easy. Often it is not easy. Often requires sacrifice. It means that we have to give something up for the greater good of the cause of the kingdom of God. We may be very comfortable in a certain area of ministry or with what we're doing, But if we are not reaching the community around us, God may say, church, you need to go this direction. And it's going to require you to make some decisions that aren't comfortable, but they are the right thing to do. And that's what our visioning journey is about, helping us to come to that place where we as individuals and as a church can say, not my will, but thy will be done. There are a few passages of Scripture that might be helpful to you. They've been helpful to me. And you certainly can write them down. I don't have these on the screen for you, but I'll be happy to share them if you'll reach out and let me know. The first one is looking at Solomon's prayer in 1 Kings. Let me see, our time is okay. Our 1 Kings 3, 1 through 15. Solomon is asking for God's wisdom. And looking at verse 4 and 5, the king went to Gibeon to offer sacrifices, for that was the most important high place. And Solomon offered a thousand burnt offerings on that altar. At Gibeon, the Lord appeared to Solomon during the night in a dream. And God, recognizing Solomon's faithfulness, said, ask for whatever you want me to give you. Could you imagine what it would be like if God said to you or to me, Ask for whatever you'd like, and I'll give it to you. I could think of a thousand things. But what did Solomon do? Solomon answered in verse 6, You have shown great kindness to your servant, my father David, because he was faithful to you and righteous and upright in heart. You have continued this great kindness to him and have given him a son to sit on his throne now this very day. 
verse 8, your servant is here among the people you have chosen, a great people, too numerous to count or number. And then verse 9, this is what he asks for. So give your servant a discerning heart to govern your people and to distinguish between right and wrong. For who is able to govern this great people of yours? And the Lord was pleased that Solomon had asked for this. He simply asked for a discerning heart. Might I be able to do the same? In Second Chronicles chapter 20, there is a story of King Jehoshaphat, the king of Judah, in the line of, of Solomon. And in that chapter, they, uh, the people of, of Israel are attacked by the Moabites and the Ammonites and the Meunites. They made war on Jehoshaphat. And some men came and told Jehoshaphat, a vast army is coming against you from Edom, from the other side of the sea. It is already in Hezaan Tamar, that is, in Engedi. Alarmed, Jehoshaphat resolved to inquire of the Lord, and he proclaimed a fast to Judah. So he declared that they would fast and pray. The people of Judah came together to seek help from the Lord. They came from every town to seek help from God. Then Jehoshaphat stood up in the assembly of Judah and Jerusalem at the temple of the Lord in front of the new courtyard, and he began to pray. And in verse 12, listen to his prayer. O our God, will you not judge them, meaning the enemies? For we have no power to face this vast army that is attacking us. We do not know what to do, but our eyes are on you. Church, sometimes in our decision-making, we don't know what to do. We come to a place where we have to acknowledge before God we don't know what to do, which of the two to pursue, what to do. Remember the prayer of Jehoshaphat who said, but Lord, our eyes are on you. We will not cease to seek the will of God to pray the prayer of holy indifference. And a little later in that passage, the scripture says the battle is the Lord's. May we remember that. Two more verses. In Jeremiah 6.16, a passage that's been useful as well in my uh, calling in ministry and life, this is what the Lord says. Stand at the crossroads and look. There's a decision, a choice. Ask for the ancient paths. This is looking back on the activity of God in the narrative of God, reflecting perhaps on how God led the Israelites out of Egyptian slavery through the Red Sea and provided for them in the wilderness. Looking at the ancient paths, the activity of God throughout salvation history. And then the scripture says, ask where the good way is and walk in it and you will find rest for your souls, meaning you will have peace. And often when people come and say, Pastor Bob, can you help me in this decision and pray with me? And I will pray that God will give them peace that passes all understanding in whatever that decision might be. And these words are echoed by Jesus, who said, Come unto me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. 
for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Let's listen to Eugene Peterson's translation of Romans 12, 1 and 2 as we end today. So here's what I want you to do. God helping you, take your everyday ordinary life, your sleeping, eating, going to work, and walking around life, and place it before God as an offering. Embracing what God does for you is the best thing you can do for Him. Don't become so well-adjusted to your culture that you fit into it without even thinking. Instead, fix your attention on God. You'll be changed from the inside out, readily recognize what He wants from you, and quickly respond to it. Unlike the culture around you, always dragging you down to its level of immaturity, God brings the best out of you, develops well-formed maturity in you. All of this that we might test and approve God's good, pleasing, and perfect will. Some questions we ask as we seek God's clarity. Does this choice fit into the calling He's given us? Does this choice draw us closer to or farther away from God? What is God saying through Scripture? Is the decision we're seeking to make consistent with the heart of God, the heart of Jesus? How will this decision or pathway nurture the fruit of the Spirit in us? How does this reflect eternal values? And have we sought the the counsel of trusted others in the church. Essentially, discernment is the practice of seeing with God's eyes. In other words, becoming more and more like Jesus, seeing the world as Jesus did. Listen to his words. I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart. I have overcome the world, says Jesus. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. He said, I am the way and the truth and the life. He said, my peace I give unto you. My peace I, my peace I leave with you. My peace I give unto you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Do not be afraid. In our discernment, we remember his peace. We seek his peace. And in our prayer of discernment, we ask to see with the eyes of Jesus and ask, what does love call me to do? In our discernment way, we pray with the prayers of Jesus that we might become indifferent to anything else but the will of God. That we might pray like Jesus, Father, if it is possible, remove this cup from me but yet not my will, but your will be done. God's will, nothing more, nothing less, nothing else. Let's pray.